This was a vision. I'm telling you, these people are Satanists. As I sit here, they are Satanists. Look, the world is full of these kind of things. Black masses, mutilations, mutilations. The incubus, the succubus. I'm telling you, we got to go down to the religious supply store. We got to get ourselves a couple of gallons of holy water. My cousin Jerry's a priest. He can get us a deal. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? Hey, once they get in here, it's over, pal. Trigger warning. This podcast may include explicit content that will take you out of your comfort zone and make you question reality. Listener's discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? In today's episode, Colby from Conspiracy Playtime Podcast joins us for an absolute crusher. Colby will walk us through the life of Courtney Love and the questionable and insidious circumstances that led to the death of infamous Kurt Cobain. Colby and I connect the dots to reveal the possible connection between Courtney Love and the so-called suicide. This episode is dynamite! And to enjoy the full version of this episode, of course, visit the Cosmic Peach Patreon and make your reservation to room 237. Let's get real, guys. You fucked off more than $7.11 this month on stupid shit. You don't even remember what it was, okay? When you could have enjoyed all the bonus episodes, extended versions of episodes, full versions of the videos, random posts, and just whatever the shit I post over there, you've missed out on all of that because you're eating a fucking... KFC Famous Bowl. Come on! This is a no-brainer. Get your ass over to the Cosmic Peach Patreon and make your reservation to room 237. But if you prefer not to, for whatever reason that may be, we can still be friends. I just really, really would love to see you over there so you can have all the fun in the world listening to the full versions of episodes like this one and so many more. Again, the link to the Patreon is in the show notes, but without further ado, let's rock and roll. We're getting right into it. Here we go. Alright everyone, 
thank you for listening to another episode of Cosmic Peach Podcast. I have a new guest on tonight. We haven't worked together before, but I'm really excited. It's Colby from Conspiracy Playtime, and he loves Stanley Kubrick almost as much as I do. <laughs> Colby, almost. how are you? I'm doing well, but we have worked together before. We haven't worked together on my show before, but oh, okay. yeah, I thought you were releasing that on yours. So. Um, I am. By the time this episode comes this will out, be the it first will one. be out. Right. So I am excited, though, because we met up for kind of a group conversation on the Laurel Canyon. And you had mentioned a little something about Courtney Love while we were doing that episode. And it really piqued my interest. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, that is correct. We did a Laurel Canyon episode and kind of the intention was to go into more modern day stuff. But it seems like we pretty much made the whole episode about Laurel Canyon, which is understandable. That is, you could do probably a whole podcast series on that. Mm -hmm. And... I think near the end of that NY Patriot was a little tired. So he, <laughs> he gave me like 15 to 20 minutes to give the brief cliff right. notes of Courtney, which I did. And that'll be a lot, probably what we're going to be talking about here, but a lot more room to sway into the weeds because mm -hmm. there's a lot going on here with this woman. Yes. So when I listen back, because I always like to listen back to episodes and see if I said everything I wanted to say. And I did kind of feel like that. I was like, dang, I didn't say this. Dang, I forgot about that. And so I can tell by our episode, there was probably so much more you could have added to that. But we had just such a short amount of time to get everything squeezed in there. So where would you say the story begins, Colby? Well, you know, we kind of were on the right track by starting with Laurel Canyon. And I'm assuming people listening to this are your people, so they know that you did a trilogy on the Laurel Canyon. Mm -hmm. And yeah, where does the story start? Because you could start it anywhere. But if we're doing the story of Courtney Love, you probably have to start in the San Francisco Hey Ashbury. You know, mm -hmm. kind of when there was a little further south, the whole Laurel Canyon thing going on, which because of people like David McGowan and even yourself, a lot more people know about that now. But I'd say 10 years ago, most people would have attributed the hippie movement to the hate with yeah. the Grateful Dead, the acid mm -hmm. tests. Ken Kesey, even in the Merry Pranksters, Tim Leary had a presence there. And for people who do know about that and have dug a little bit, you understand that that is all very much intelligence yes. uh, sparked in the in the least, if not flat out just the entire time. Uh, so. I mentioned the acid tests, and if you want to talk about those, there's this band that sprang up called the Grateful Dead, and you may have heard of them. I think they suck. <laughs> I'm not a jam band guy. I don't know about you. You and hate them? 
No, I'm indifferent. I just don't think they're good musicians. I think that oh, okay. jam band... I was going to say, I'm, I'm like you. I'm just kind of indifferent. Yeah. Them. I think that people that hate them are probably like, you know, straight edge, anti-drug people. And, <laughs> yeah, probably. But then the people that love them are the people that took the CIA hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> oh, the bait, yeah. The chum in the water. That's what the Grateful Dead is to me. I think, like, honestly, I don't like fish either. Uh, well, and it, it's just a million different kinds of Walmart t-shirts now. Yeah. <laughs> Grateful Dead. <laughs> it's like every time I go to Walmart, they're on the clearance rack. I'm like, uh, oh my God. Unfortunately, I see Nirvana there too these days. Oh yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. The famous cross-eyed smiley mm-hmm. face. That that fucker's at Target. It's at Walmart. That Amazon, and Amazon Prime Pink on sale. Floyd, yes, the whole rainbow triangle moment. So yeah, which now, isn't even their best album, but no, I I actually agree with you. But it's for symbolism. It's everywhere. Yeah, yeah that shit sells. So Courtney Love's mother is a woman named Linda Carroll, and. Just going off memory here, I don't remember which exact source of wealth she came from, but her family was very wealthy. They had uh, money and shit tied in with some pretty big people. They were pretty well off. So when you start looking at Courtney Love's parents, it's not clear on whether Hank Harrison or Linda Carroll or both were cia plants maybe neither but the fact that he was managing the grateful dead in the very fucking beginning when they weren't even called the grateful dead they were called the warlocks and that was i think one of the things that just kind of spread lsd throughout the country more than anything was the merry pranksters with ken kesey and the likes which linda carroll was tied in with those guys I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think Kim Kesey's a great writer. I love uh, that movie. But I do think that he was tied into the intelligence aspect of it. Maybe not in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But he was an MK Ultra subject. He oh, volunteered when he was going to college. thousand percent. I feel like the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is kind of hinting to that. They're giving him electroshock therapy and pills and Nurse Ratchet and all of that. It, it, to me, with Jack Nicholson working in that movie, we all know about yes. it. So it's just, it's a little suspect, you know, it's suspicious. Well, do you know the story about why he wrote it? No, I don't. But so... I'm going to say it's probably fucked. It's it ties into everything. So I want to tell you, I know you're a fan of like getting a hold of literature that has looked into all this stuff. So Martin Lee and some other guy wrote a book called Acid Dreams. Mm-hmm. And that will blow wide open all of this stuff with the CIA and this movement and out of San Francisco. He goes into Tim Leary and all it's it's a must read. It's right up there with weird scenes, in my opinion. Okay. So Ken Kesey, you know, he's from my state, Oregon. Like his second book was called Sometimes a Great Notion. It was written about loggers in the Eugene area. 
But anyway, he did end up going to school in California, and that's where these MK Ultra experiments were taking place. One that he signed up for, it was like, "Hey, kids, you want one hundred and fifty dollars cash? <laughs> quick and easy. It's not quick and easy when you're fucking on LSD for twelve hours." Oh wow! Um, so anyway, he was like a brute, prototypical jock kind of guy. He was a wrestler. I think he wrestled in college. I could be wrong about that, but he was a, he was an athlete, but he also had a great mind. And I think the LSD actually tapped into that and they started honing in on him once they saw how he reacted to it. Now the tale goes that he was given a job as a janitor at the place where he was being given the LSD. So he had the keys to where they were storing it. It's oh, almost like they were just shit. like, Hey kid, here you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he also did night janitorial work at a an insane asylum, and he would take LSD that he probably stole, mm-hmm. and he would. There's one story in particular where he said he stood on the other side of a door where there's this guy. He was completely mute. He was he had some psych or some uh, trauma in his life, and he just was shut out. But on acid, Ken Kesey made eye contact with him for several hours, and he said he understood. No, the no. inmates, the inmates are running the asylum type thing. He understood that the asylum's out here, and so he came up with this alter ego called R.P. McMurphy, which is the per- character that Jack Nicholson portrays in the movie. So in the book, it's you remember the Indian character. Yes, the shaman so guy. You should read the book. The book is told from a first person's perspective from the Indian. Wow. And it's totally different. The movie's great. It's just, it didn't capture that essence of it. So, anyway, I don't want to like make this a MK no, Ultra I King love TV episode. But... Tangents. That was a really good one, too. I never knew anything about that. It's kind of creepy. It but is. I uh, loved the native american guy because he was the shaman in poltergeist three. <laughs> oh fuck so, yeah i just always had such a soft spot for that character but the movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest you said your favorite was easy rider um and one from like that decade of movies i would say like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and there was a few natalie wood movies that i really loved with warren Beatty and. I think one of them was called Splendor in the Grass. But no, yeah, I do watch movies from back then. And some of them are really, really good. And some of them are like, what the fuck is this? So, yeah, it's such a I think, you know, you're always asked that question. What time would you travel back to? Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, I'm going to go back to Egypt and see the pyramids being built. I think my pyramids are right inside Laurel Canyon and just California in general in that era. And maybe even like it spreads across the country. But I think as far as like a hotbed for this stuff, it's definitely anywhere from L.A. to San Francisco. So you would go back to 1960? Maybe even 65. 65. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it was definitely brewing for probably a, a long time but when it starts bubbling to the surface probably when jim morrison walks into the laurel canyon scene yeah i mean that so, wasn't like it, it was just the epitome of what was to come you would want to be how old though you you would want to be 
a full adult in 1965, like 21 years old in, in 1965? Maybe even like or... 30. If it's me, mm-hmm. I would want to be like 30 because when I was 21, I was still idolizing people like Jim Morrison and Kurt. Oh, Cameron. okay. So, so like I, I would have just been in all. Yeah. If like I had done my research and then I could go back. 30 year old me in 1965 would be the trip. Wow. Yeah. That would be really awesome. Then you get to still see the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and still get to see fucking Courtney Love and all that. Yeah. And you're telling me I have to leave all of this <laughs> the shit going on right now? It's like, okay. Sorry. Right. Yeah. We don't have anything even close to that now. What? Ariana TikTok? Grande or. He's like, it's not even comparable. Yeah, Laurel Canyon today is TikTok. <laughs> yeah, for real. Or all the platforms, really. But. Mm. So, yeah, I would say that her story, Courtney Love's story, does start in the era of, like, Ken Kesey blowing up, the Merry Pranksters blowing up, the acid test taking place. I don't know if you've ever heard of or read Tom's book, uh, The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Tests. And it just kind of focuses. It's like maybe the next generation's version of On the Road, the mm-hmm. Kerouac Row. It's kind of like the tell-all, someone right in the middle of it. And what was interesting to me is how Courtney Love was born right in the middle of all of this. And her story is kind of romantic. It's like... I do have some interviews I want to show you later where she's talking about her childhood with Barbara Walters. But if you do remember what I told you about a little tiny bit, I don't remember how much I mentioned about her early, early childhood in the uh, Laurel Canyon episode we did. But there was a rift in the marriage and they separated Mm -hmm. uh, Hank Harrison and Linda Carroll. And the story is that Hank Harrison wanted to get Courtney away from all that stuff. Now, the other side of it makes it look like he's the bad guy. In that interview on Barbara Walter, Walters that we're going to look at a little bit here in, a, in probably down the, I don't know, it'll be a little ways. But okay, uh, she, she talks about how her dad gave her acid when she was three. Now, a lot of what I'm going to be pulling from in this is the book drugs as whip weapons against us by john podash it's another must read i put it right up there with acid dreams and weird scenes uh he actually got a hold of a lot of declassified documents from this era and that like it's a paper trail for courtney love he presents but her own story doesn't deviate from the stuff he presents like she talked about how she was seeing a therapist when she's only three or four years old that her mom put her in. But anyway, so the story goes on his side. The The wealthy family of Linda Carroll paid Hank Harrison's attorney to throw the custody case. So he wasn't ever allowed to see her again. They would reunite when she was in her early teens, but he had no contact with her, I think. And, you know, I don't want to, like, be on his side because I think the guy was a piece of shit. I don't right. think he was a cool dude at all. And, I mean... He was fired from the Grateful Dead. I don't know if he was their original mm-hmm. handler or what, but he ended up moving over to the UK. He ended up in uh, Dublin as where he was living through her childhood. 
and she does go into therapy and this is where some alleged sexual abuse starts for her and since this is you and i both we are on a conspiracy podcast uh yes it's very reminiscent of what some witnesses said in the mk ultra testimonies of 1995 it's come up you know there's always these hearings first mm-hmm. but uh i think there is like almost 60 declassified mk ultra sub projects but the one that never really comes up is Monarch, which is the one that everybody, you know, it's Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. It's the disassociating young mm-hmm. kids. SRA. Yeah. And so it's either going to be you're an assassin, you're a beta sex kitten, which in my opinion, Courtney Love falls into that Monarch category of the beta sex kitten. Because as you'll see, mm-hmm. she ends up with in a lot of places as a young kid. And how does she get to these places? She ends up in Japan. She talks about it openly. She says she was a stripper and that she worked for the Japanese and the Taiwanese mafia. Uh, she ends up in Alaska a little bit later. Oh shit. Which, you know, Alaska yeah, it is really the last frontier for this kind of stuff. Oh shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she, there she was said to have been, sleeping with high-ranking generals and shit like that in the military and like getting getting the uh lips loose what yeah wow so she's like a marilyn monroe type she's exactly that yeah mm-hmm. so you know kathy o'brien or is that her name Not is she O'Brien. a comedian no uh no no you're talking about the the whistleblower yeah is that her name from the yeah it's yeah it's kathy o'brien she wrote yeah. a book i think or an article something yeah. about her testimony she's uh-huh. still around and she actually she's gone on podcasts like oh the, my the level I, of ours i, I, I mean, want she, to get if in you touch reach out her. to her i would not be surprised if she would go on your show Ooh, that so, would be a goodie but a lot of the things she said, and then these two other witnesses, since I'm just going off memory at this point, I don't remember their names, but they also claimed that they were given acid at the age of three. It's always three. Well, you know, number- going back to our Laurel Canyon episode, Vito Paulikas gave his three-year-old acid too. And yeah. then it, quote unquote, fell through the roof or freaky you know, photo shoot, whatever story. He, he died either way. One thing we didn't point out in our Laurel Canyon episode that I think is vital is the fact that by all accounts, those and even their own, they went out and partied the night that kid died, mm-hmm. which just shows yes, you what kind did. of people we're dealing with here. And I, I would hold Linda Carroll in the same regard as Vito yeah. Polikas, or what's his name? Yeah, Vito Polikas. Oh, no, Vito's, um the kid's name was Godo, but it was spelled like G O D O T. So Godo. So just another sacrifice, you know. He didn't yes. luckily, lucky for him, he didn't have to become Courtney Love. But she yeah. her story is just all over the place, but it all checks out. And what the fuck was she doing in Asia? There's not a lot about it there. But uh, so at some point, 
the interim between her being in boarding school, I mean, her mom didn't know what the fuck to do with her. She was out of control, mm-hmm. put her in some boarding schools. I think she always ended up getting booted. And she's at this point, this is Hank Harrison's story. She's writing him letters and she's saying things like, this is when she's in her teens. There's no internet, but she's telling her dad that her therapist and do you know who uh, John Dittinger, I think his name is. He's is he's he one like a he, famous one. He's a famous uh, psychotherapist from this era. He's mm-hmm. heavily into MKUltra. Oh, no one can really tie him to this, but it just from all the research I've done and from what other people have speculated upon as well, it sounds like it's him that is dosing her and it's with secanol and another drug that puts you in a hypnotic state and she's telling her dad that these are the drugs they're giving me i know i'm being molested so they're programming her and then she magically ends up in like the yakuza mafia and (laughs) doing tricks for fucking Mm high-ranking crime families in asia it's just it's like the things movies are made out of and yes. so I don't know exactly what point this is. I know she's under 18. I think she was either 16 or 17, but she turns up in Dublin and her dad, I don't know. She claims that he was never allowed to have contact with her after, you know, it was decided by the courts that he was no good. And the whole LSD story that she and her mom both say, I doubt she remembers her dad giving her acid at three if it even happened. Someone did. I'm sure about that. But so she ends up in Dublin and this is in the 80s where, I mean, I love the post-punk movement of of music. I love all those bands. Mm -hmm. So like Echo and the Bunnymen and like the Pogues. I mean, she's in the circles with these people and she has a suitcase full of uh, over a thousand hits of LSD. And where the fuck did she get that? Well, she's also hanging out with this guy, according to her father named Stephen O'Leary. It's her CIA handler from, cause he ended up having deathbed confessions about having been her handler and provided the LSD. Wow. But so she goes into this music scene, and I think this is the beginning of her, you know, career in intelligence. Mm-hmm. And she's she's an asset that just goes into these scenes and steers them in certain directions. So it's almost like this era in the UK is kind of like Laurel Canyon 2.0. Yeah. It's still LSD. Mm-hmm. so she ends up like hanging out with a lot of people that we all know about and she she even starts her movie career at this point too like when she's pretty young she was in a movie with like band members from the clash and i love the clash do she she goes on tv and says she doesn't like the clash well she's a damn slut anyways <laughs> i mean <laughs> That's the one thing about Courtney Love. I'll agree with the second part. I don't know how dumb she is. I think, think she's that 
she plays dumb maybe yes yes okay. she does play dumb she's overly confident though like we'll get into this a little bit later but she'll do anything to anybody to prove a point but she won't touch the one guy who has everything on her and that's where a lot of this other information do you know who i'm talking about i think i do but so we'll we'll do, it'll just be a little preview for what's to come down the road but it's tom okay. grant he no, was a, that's not who I was okay, thinking Okay, so this guy's a private investigator that she hired when Kurt went missing before the alleged suicide. And he ends up taking it upon himself to investigate her. He's like... Oh, shit. So, yeah, so the movie Soaked in Bleach, which came out a few years ago, is his account of the following events after he she oh hired my him. god i so haven't seen it what? i would recommend watching it just know that's cheesy as fuck because they do the whole reenactment thing oh okay and yeah. it's his side of the story so they just go so far out of the way to make her look like a crazy slut which if if it happened exactly like that documentary says i'd be very surprised <laughs> but i do think this guy's legit anyway so she ends up doing whatever she's doing in the uk dublin she comes back to the states uh she ends up in portland and john moreland and i gotta just check real quick i pulled up some things that are big in this so he's in a band called the leaving trains and they're an la formed band she marries this guy a lot of people don't know that she was married before and yeah i didn't know that yeah according to him and you can so there's another documentary that was huge in the late 90s called kurt and courtney and it's the first like tell all courtney killed courtney kind of documentary that really mm -hmm. hit mainstream and he's featured in this movie and he's petrified from his experience with her apparently if she if he like didn't do what she wanted she would fucking have people kick the fuck out of him what yeah and she thought she saw in him something special that didn't pan out his band didn't end up blowing up and she this is his testimony she was pregnant left him and aborted his kid and this guy's still all fucked up over it what so, yeah so do you this think that's is, exaggerated or do you think that's I don't know legit? this is this is I mean be, from what I know about her if I have to form a personal opinion on whether it's true or not I wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised if it is because you'll see I mean so I do got to tell you like I think I mentioned earlier that like when I was in my late teens early 20s I was infatuated with these rock stars so Kurt Cobain is one of those that I read every biography I could get my mm -hmm. hand on and it wasn't until later that I, I became more fascinated with Dave Grohl and Courtney Love than I am with Kurt. Kurt is an icon. He's a fallen soldier in the fucking battle. I I don't. I also don't like Kurt. But everything I learned about <laughs> Kurt, I don't think he'd be somebody I'd ever want to hang out with. I think he was a fucking artist. I love Nirvana. Mm. Give me a Nirvana all the fucking day long. They didn't make a bad song. And you when you hear music, you hear auth authenticity sometimes. And that's, I think, what resonates with Nirvana. Mm -hmm. I mean, it took 
Courtney a few tries to finally land there because not she also ended up with Trent Reznor at one point. Yep. Which that is the newest one to me that I didn't know about. What Trent Reznor? Yeah, I yeah, found this I mean, out probably a, the last. I, she's like a snake. Like if you look, she's like slithering somewhere in the background behind a lot of these like huge bands. And Trent Reznor is also something else that ties her to Laurel Canyon. Yeah. Because he's he's in the mix of that. But the one that's fascinating to me is Billy Corgan. Because he lived to tell the tale. They apparently stole music from him. I know he wrote songs for her. And that's out in the open. But he, this is stuff that I've just found out in the last couple of years. That he claimed... He was working on a new album and he showed the people in whole. He was dating Courtney at the time. And it, a lot of his stuff ended up on their next album. So (laughs) he wrote for her. He also was stolen from now. I kind of, you know, he's one of those guys. that's very interesting. He's like a conspiracy theorist, but I don't know if he's legit. I don't know if he's a plant. He's huge, or if like, he's, you know, a controlled opposition. And I, Smashing Pumpkins, fucking love Smashing Pumpkins. I wouldn't put them in with the grunge movement, but he was in the scene. Yeah, he knew everyone. It yeah. was kind of like, well, and it made me think when you said he was writing for them, was he around before or after one of her, I think it was her bass player? Yeah, Kristen Pfaff, we'll get to that. So oh, she okay, died, okay. she died 10 weeks after Kurt. Oh it's, my god. And it's oh, there's there's more to okay, that. Okay, okay. Don't spoil it. Don't All right. spoil it. All okay. Right. Yeah, you're you're jumping ahead, but it's a very good connection to make because apparently. All right, we'll just get to that when it comes around. No, no, but, no. Yeah, don't say anything else. Okay. So uh <laughs> Billy Corrigan, by some accounts, took Courtney to the party where she met Kurt and in like more than two or three of the biographies biographies that I read about Kurt Cobain the story goes and this just sounds like I don't know it's almost like modern day grunge Shakespeare they were at the party she walks up to him and she's holding a bottle of cough syrup you know that whole thing so he says hey and he reaches into his pocket and pulls out they have the same brand oh love at first sight love love at first (laughs) yeah so that was the beginning of them whether the cough syrup thing happened or not uh the thing we need to just focus on when it comes to kurt and courtney is that kurt has this reputation for being a junkie and he never did heroin before he met her he had and i'm sure you've heard this he's he had a severe stomach issue that was never properly diagnosed until later on and he would drink he would do he would smoke pot Mm -hmm. and he later on and it wasn't it was kind of right before his death he got it figured out. A doctor actually gave him the proper diagnosis and started treating that. But it sounds like the heroin for him 
was the first thing that like helped that. And then of course, like yeah. anybody, he fell into it. And you hear a change from Nevermind. Nevermind was like, oh, we're going to make pop music. Bleach might be the best Nirvana album. And it's like punk. It sounds mm -hmm. like kind of like neo-punk. It's not quite grunge. Nevermind grabbed the fucking grunge reins in 91. <laughs> right. And I mean, it's it's understandable. Like it is bubblegum music, but when you hear that riff of "Smells Like Teen Spirit," there's a reason that song became what it was. Mm -hmm. And then the whole MTV music video aspect to that song, the cheerleaders, and just all of it—it it was just it's iconic. It, it's a perfect storm. And where there's perfect storms, you usually see Earl Canyon esque intelligence yeah. uh, guiding it. So. When I listen to Hole, it's hard for me because I just hear her trying to make it. Everybody says that it's about him. awful to me. I don't like it at all. Not even Live Through This? No. Okay. So Live Through This, I think, sounds like a Nirvana album. I think that she squawks. I would almost compare her to what yoko ono did to john lennon at this point i just no that's uh that's very music, valid i could not listen to it but yoko ono sucks i i don't <laughs> think courtney I, I hear you i hear you say that how much have you looked into the yoko ono john lennon thing? oh i've looked deep okay you probably it. know more than i do because it's like on my periphery of things that i'm intrigued by I actually just listened to a podcast a couple of days ago to get ready for this. You know Chris Graves? A little bit. He's pretty good on, on a lot of topics, and he's really good on Nirvana. He's really mm -hmm. good on Columbine and Nirvana, which kind of have a weird connection in a way. Weird. So he points out the connections between, like, or not the similarities yeah. between the Yoko Lennon and Love mm -hmm. Cobain. Sagas. I'm telling you, it's very similar because John was kind of moving in a different direction after the split, but he was getting Yoko, political. Yeah. Yoko was already there before they split, too. But then when he was on his own, she had such an enormous impact well, on what he was doing. Who's the chick? He married another Asian chick, right? Or I don't know if they were married. Um, he was married before he met Yoko. But there's this chick who's Asian also. I don't think he was married, but John was living with her. Yoko Ono showed up and snagged him for a weekend and got pregnant with Julian. And that was the end of this broad. But she was trying to, like, get him back into the Beatles and shit. And Yoko wanted what? him. To... Yeah. Oh, shit. No, I mean, I, I thought that the mom of Julian was white, a white lady. No, Sean. Oh, excuse me, Sean. Oh, I was like, Julian looks yeah. Caucasian. Yeah, but, sorry. Um, I, I'm Sean, glad you I'm glad you yeah. corrected me there. Sean is. Yeah, Yoko's OK. Son. Yeah. Sean is so, Yoko's. Yeah. Well, and also, if you want to like people who think John Lennon's this peaceful guy. Have you heard the testimonies of uh julian's mom oh yeah 
she was like he beat me he... well you remember that song it's like really upbeat and it's like catch you with another man that's the end <laughs> little girl and it's like he's threatening to kill somebody when he catches and he was out fucking around and all his wives mm-hmm. yeah he, he was definitely a wife beater no he wasn't actually that great of a dude he was very intellectual um really smart guy great musician i just don't think he was <laughs> the prince of peace like everyone tries to make him out to be no not at all and he actually also did circle jerks with paul mccartney well julian says that he was a pretty uh authoritarian type of father as well just like how frank zappa is described and john phillips is described so well, i hope it's not as bad as john me. phillips I hope fucking not, but you never know. <laughs> All right. So when they get together and he starts doing heroin, it doesn't, their relationship, a lot of people think they were together longer than they were. It wasn't really that long. It was a lot happened from the time they met to the end. Nirvana made it huge. They were already kind of like starting to, but then she gets pregnant. She also tries to kill him in Rome, which have you heard much about that? Not really. I mean, I know that it kind of happened, but not all the deets. Well, they chalk it up to his first suicide attempt. Is that what they do? Yeah. So when you look at it now, all the evidence points to the fact that she did it because there's this character that pops up constantly in this. And he was a male nanny for Francis Bean, the daughter of Kurt and Courtney. But it's just whenever something goes down, he's there, including Kurt's death. Mm. And I mean, he's there through all of this. Have you ever seen those weird ass videos of Kurt and Courtney when Francis is an infant? And they're obviously just out of their fucking heads on something. And Courtney never denied that she was using heroin for the first month of pregnancy. What? Yeah, because she didn't know she was pregnant yet. Oh, and, my God. And. I don't know if it ever really stopped because probably not. You don't just stop for nine months cold turkey or eight months. I mean, if she's like a good mother, she would. But I don't oh, look at Kurt Courtney or, or I don't no look way. at Courtney and think like, oh, she's a great mother. Yeah, fact, didn't. So this is the era of her life I never really dove into, but I do think that they don't really get along. And she was like kind of raised by her grandma, Kurt's mom. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Did they ever say what was wrong with Kurt's stomach? Like he had Crohn's or something? No, it ended up being diagnosed as a pinched nerve. In his stomach? Yeah. And well, it's probably not in his stomach, but something down there and so and i you know i'm not 100 percent about that but i i've seen it 
numerous times that he said that's what it was. He found a doctor who finally properly diagnosed it and treated it successfully. That's why he quit heroin. Mm. And he, I think when around the time he got clean, he was starting to remember certain things about that Rome incident. And that was near the end of all of this because do you know what drug was in his stomach when they, so he, he almost died in Rome. And like, if you talk to uh, Chris Novoselic, he's, he said it many times in interviews that Kurt wasn't the same after that, that I think he pretty much was on the edge of death. He went into a coma. I think there was a lack of oxygen to his brain and he was just kind of subdued after that, but he was also very happy in that part of his life. But the reason I think things start to get real fishy is because these are all conflicting accounts of how the end of Kurt's life was. Because some stories are that he had to go back to rehab. He jumped a fence to get out. And when you really look into it, it sounds like he was clean. And the main issue in his life was Courtney. And he was taking her out of his will. And he was going to lawyer up. Oh. Oh, shit. Was but, it like a massive overdose or something they found? So, okay. So he was found with champagne, well, alcohol, and rohypnol in his stomach. What? And enough to kill somebody. So it almost did kill him. That is not self-inflicted. No way. That'd be the worst way to go out. All right, everyone, the rest of this episode can be enjoyed on the Cosmic Peach Patreon, along with other bonus content. Now, what you're going to get over on Patreon is taking your Cosmic Peach experience to a whole new level. The subscription is called Room 237, and it is 7 bucks and 11 cents a month. That's right, 7-Eleven, y'all. Now, this subscription is an all-inclusive resort, if you will. There's no levels to this shit. If you subscribe, you get it all. Bonus content, extended versions of documentaries, and full versions of episodes, ad-free content, Julia rants, 10% off code for cosmic merch, holiday specials, messaging and conversations with yours truly, horror movie breakdowns and commentary, and whatever else I'm in the mood for posts videos maybe a playlist of cool songs to check out cool movies and tv shows it's just a little bit more personal so there is only so much i can say on youtube and instagram or even on here without getting shadow banned or content getting straight up removed fuckers so in order to continue bringing you the cosmic fire I would like to provide the option of an exclusive and more in-depth coverage of my research. I am humbled and grateful to be a part of your journey towards finding truth. Patreon just allows me to connect with you on a more personal level. So go on over to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes if you would like to subscribe. And thank you so much. I hope to see you over there. <laughs>